Thank you, Greg. I thought you were going to share some embarrassing stories, but you didn't go that way. So that was good. It's good to see you guys. Some of you are familiar faces. Some of you are too old for me to know if you're familiar. Um, and some of you I have never met before. Joe, it's good to see you. Are you in Minnesota now? Wisconsin. You're still in Wisconsin, but you come over here. Yeah, somebody said that they were getting with you last night. I was like, is he in Minnesota? So I have, uh, my name is Chuck Apple, been in the ministry for 40 years um, and had a, a lots of experiences. And so today we're going to talk about how to save the world, but there are some knots. And I think we have to deal with the knots or we will crash and burn. And so it's important that we kind of look at this subject. So if you came thinking, oh, we're not going to talk about evangelism or, and, and uh uh, we probably are not. We're going to deal with some of the knots, you know, to get there. And so we just want to take a moment and just we're so glad that you guys are here. Um, how many are pastors in the room? Raise your hand. OK, um, awesome. All right. So this is for everyone. But I'm glad that I'm speaking to pastors as well. And uh, I think we can all benefit from this. Um, how important is the mission to save the world to you? How important is the mission? We'll do a liquor scale, okay, one to 10. Uh, one, somebody shot a hole in your gas tank and you're stranded in the middle of a desert. And 10, you know what, you're at your best, okay? You're at your best. One to 10, what do you think the number would be for you personally? How are you doing in the mission to save the world? How are you doing? You got a number? Okay, will you share that with somebody? Go ahead and just share what you think that number is. Okay, whatever that number is. Ten is uh, you're at your best. Um, one, somebody shot a hole in your gas tank and you are in trouble. Okay. All right, how many, how many tens do we got? You're at your best in the area of saving the world. Okay, uh, nines. How many nines? No nines? One nine, maybe nine. Uh, how about an eight? Any eights? How many are not voting at all? Uh, how many sevens do we have? All right, we got some sevens. How many sixes? You just this is your self-evaluation. How many fives? Fives. How many fours? Threes, twos, one, maybe. How many didn't vote? It's all right. All right. How important is a healthy leader in the mission to save the world? One to ten. Somebody shot a hole in your, your gas tank, you're stranded in the middle of a desert. One. 10, you're at your best. How important is a healthy leader in the mission to save the world? All right, you got your number? How many tens? Okay, pretty important in your life to you, okay? Um, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. All right, nobody, nobody was stranded in the desert and their, their uh, gas tank was hit. Um, so healthy pastors, healthy pastors ignite healthy church growth and advance the gospel. All right, now I think you can be unhealthy and, and do that. And, uh, and I think health is always a process to be maintained. But healthy pastors ignite healthy church growth and advance the gospel. Um, I mean, that's the premise that we're going to work off today. 
my story basically I have a passion to reach a city for Jesus um, it drives me uh, I will share today out of my out of a, a sense of vulnerability of openness with you and uh, um, but I'll tell you reaching a city for Jesus was consuming to me it, it consumed my whole life and there was this drive, driving passion and I would do anything outside of sin to reach somebody if if you know whatever as crazy as the idea would be you know I would do it and uh, and we've done some pretty crazy things but I think the mission and the mission that you're involved in can be intoxicating okay it can be mesmerizing it can get um, to the point where as you're dealing with your flesh and you're dealing with this sense of health um, that it can get convoluted with the how and the why you're doing it. And, and I, I don't think anybody starts off, you know, with bad motives. I think we, we're all an integration of good and bad, you know. There's good things, but then we're learning as, as there's a sense of brokenness in our world and brokenness maybe even in our own lives that we're dealing with. We're all, we're all kind of a mixed bag. Am I, am I in the right room? All right, we're all a mixed bag. And so we, we constantly have to look at, at all of that. Billy Sunday said this, I am not the author of the plan of salvation, but I'm responsible for the way I preach it. I'm responsible for the way I preach it. And I want to talk about, you know, probably more the why than the how. But, you know, I was a youth pastor for 17 years. Uh, I've been in and out of Minnesota. Um, when I get tired of hearing about the Minnesota Vikings, then I go to Wisconsin, all right? And uh, when I'm in Wisconsin, I, I think it's when they're in the winning seasons. I'm in Wisconsin. When they're not, now it doesn't look very good. I'm going to be over here in Minnesota, okay? No, I'm just kidding. Um, but the, uh, I, I was in Port Edwards, Wisconsin. They started in Nakusa, and then they moved to Port Edwards. So out of a church in Port Edwards, and then I went to Oak Creek, those are my youth pastor years. And then I was in Wilmer, Minnesota as a youth pastor. And then I, I was in Eau Claire as my first senior pastorate. And then Rogers, Minnesota. And then Sheboygan, Wisconsin. And right now I am interim at Bethel's Rock at Richfield Campus. I'm also in charge of men's and marriage and for all three campuses and what else? Seniors. I told them, don't give me seniors. They gave me seniors. Um, I'm loving seniors now. But um, uh, And also Speakers Bureau. Anybody that speaks at, at the Bethel's Rock, I'm in, I'm in charge of. Um, and some of those things I haven't really started. We just moved here in December. So I'm brand new again to the district um, or the network that's here. I'm excited to be a part of it. Um, started Youth Alive, was the first Youth Alive director, full-time director um, in the nation. It was started out of Wisconsin. Um, Youth Alive was happening at that point, but only in the national office. So Dick Baker um, was, is kind of, I was that person. And uh, just always had a passion to reach lost people. Um, Mark Miltimore and I worked together. He was a youth pastor. Um, we kind of team together. We were youth pastors together, and uh, 
We worked on reaching schools. We'd get a gorilla suit and pass out flyers, you know, students come out, you know, just to promote a school, a school assembly evening rally. We would do anything and everything to try to reach students and to try to reach people for Christ. That's probably why um, I then became the person to um, work with Youth Alive because of my passion for reaching people. In Youth Alive, we saw 10,000 people make decisions for Christ in three years. And so it was an incredible moment. Um, we saw um, strategies of students as we supported them on campus. They would have a strategy to bring the gospel to their school. And it was just so cool what God could do through high school students. And, and so I, I was a part of that. Um, some of the prime years, I'm not saying every year, um, but there were some prime years, and there were several of them that we would reach over a thousand people who would make decisions for Christ. And we would have 300 plus water baptisms. And, um, and so that was pretty important to me, but it was more than just a decision for Christ in my own life. And what I discover in my journey, you know, also I recognize, you know, we, it's got to be more than events. We've got to train people, leaders, people in our congregation to share their faith. And so on a monthly basis, um, I don't know if you heard about the one minute witness, but I would train people. And we brought 400 people in this last church that I was a part of in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. We brought 400 adults through training them once a month on a Saturday. My staff and my, myself would train, and then we would go out and do a gas buy-down, or we'd do some kind of outreach, and we would train them in sharing their faith. And, uh, and so that practice became um, a heart of, I wanted to see a culture um, happen beyond just doing serving types of outreaches. I mean, we did gas buy-downs, we did compassion clinics, we did food distribution outreaches, they still do it today on a monthly basis, we probably see 700 people come out in a month. Great way to leverage the gospel. We had hero rallies for civil servants um, where we would have the helicopter for life that would come and land in our parking lot. We'd have fire trucks, police, you know, all kinds of sheriff department, all kinds of civil servants of our county. And then we would have a service for them to honor them. And, and uh, we'd have singles, moms, oil, change outreach. We'd have the mafia guy. We'd have world champion boxer who's a Christian, world champion arm wrestler. There is a world champion arm wrestler, by the way, and who's a Christian. And we would, I mean, we just, anything out there, we would leverage it, you know? Um, and we would leverage it for the gospel. And I was just sold out to the mission. But in the midst of being sold out to the mission, I think you can be so passionately pursuing the mission that, you know what, um, you have to look at your own relationship with God. You want that to come out of, you know, not a sense of your own brokenness. You don't want it to come out of that sense of, you know what, I'm doing this in the flesh. I, I want to do it out of the spirit, you know. And, and so, I mean, there are, there are mistakes that you make. There are things that you go along. The, but there was a passion in my heart. And I believe the passion was that, yeah, I mean, there's some mixed motives. There was motives to achieve, wanting to achieve, wanting to do real well, wanting to see people and think, and taking maybe too much credit for that, you know, and, and there was the other side of, of depending on Jesus, you know, and so I think I would vacillate back and forth in pursuing that mission and the mission that God had for me. But as I try to understand reaching a community, 
and, and just being passionate about, about mobilizing a generation. I, I also was excited myself. I found myself, you know, very easy to lead people to Christ at a funeral, very easy to lead people to Christ at a crusade, very easy to lead people to Christ um, on a given Sunday, you know, but what about if I just went out and talked to my neighbor? What about if I just went to Walmart and one time, you know, what was it one time? There was a, the challenge, Tom Eli had challenged us to every day go and share Jesus for the next 30 days. And I took that challenge and uh, it was life changing because I was scared to death as a pastor to do it from close up. You know, I could I would love to see people come to know Christ, but that sense of close up, that kind of changed the dynamics. And that really helped me to depend on the Lord. And there's nothing more exciting. Um, Philemon's 1.8 says, I pray that you be active in sharing your faith so you have a full understanding of the good things found in Christ. God's got some miracles in store for you. And it is amazing the things that He will do if you'll just respond to His Spirit. If you'll just do what He calls you to do. It, it, a, a person who's not on fire for Christ probably will not share Jesus. All right? But I want to tell you, if you're on fire for the Lord and it, it, you take steps of faith like that, there's something powerful that happens. And so that, that is one of our passions, one of my passions. And, uh, and it was really to mobilize a generation to empower others, not just, not just myself, but empower others, not just events, but empower others to, to really be successful in sharing the gospel. You know, And I think I just found a lot of challenges in that. But I also found in my own life, the pace became unsustainable. And, uh, and so, as I said before, healthy pastors ignite healthy church growth and advance the gospel. It's that, it's that healthy soul that is important for us to understand. And the healthy soul is that God is at the center of your life. God is at the center. And, uh, and, and, and so there's a, there's a tendency, as James out, brings out, we can be double-minded. You know, there are times fear can fill our lives, you know, and uh, there are times where maybe sin or idols. I think my idol for me was achieving, you know, and, and that sense of achieving, wanting to have something bigger than what was before. Now, I'm going to tell you, I was a mixed bag. There were good things, and then that achiever part had to come to a place of dying, you know, and uh, wanting the approval of people, that had to die in my own life. And so as I look at all of that, you know, I come to you and I share with you, but I recognize any one of us could have some type of idol, can have some type of thing, double-mindedness that goes on in our own spirit. And so we're, none of us are perfect on this side of heaven, all right? But God wants to use all of us. And that's the beauty of this. But here's my concern is... What I was struggling with, I believe pastors are struggling with all over the world, all over the nation, especially if we're going to focus on America. 1,600 pastors leave the ministry every month. Now, whether that's correct or not, there's lots of people that have been leaving the ministry. And, and some of them are, are leaving the ministry morally. They're leaving the ministry um, because they, they've sought out certain things. Some of them, 1,300, were terminated by a local uh, church, many of them without cause. And I've got lots of friends who have been terminated, and, and they didn't know why. They thought they were on the same page and didn't know why. 
50% of pastors starting out will not last five years. Um, so there's a lot of new pastors starting out and uh, along that night. And then this is disturbing too, but I understand there are seasons and different things that go on. Nine out of ten will not finish the vocation life being a pastor. Um, so when you look at all of that, I never look at that and, and say, you know what, um, boy, I'm a victim. I never have a victim mentality. I don't push the button and say I'm a victim. I've never even looked at the statistics. But as God was beginning to call me and begin to see the theme and, and kind of the, the strands of, of themes within my life, uh, I just began to look at all of that, and I believe God redeems everything. Amen. He redeems every good, every bad, every, every ugly thing. He redeems it all. Um, I'm getting with a guy right now, and uh, he embezzled, you know? And so I, I believe God redeems it. It's, it's been four years since, you know, but yet, you know, God wants to use that guy, you know? And, and so I just really believe in the redeeming nature of God that he redeems. And I'm so thankful for that. And I'm sure you are. I can't show any of my videos. So um, we're just going to talk. All right. And uh, internet doesn't work good down here. And I should have probably just downloaded it on my computer, but I did not do that. Um, Barna was all those stats, stats come from Barna. That's my source. Um, I, I think these are a little low, but January 2021, 29% considered quitting. The ministry, October 2021, 51%. Um, I talked to the vice president of one of our Bible colleges, AG Bible Colleges. We are down 26% of people going into the ministry. Um, so we we're, are losing people, and at, eventually that's going to catch up with us, and we have less people going in. Right now I'm the interim at at um, Bethel's Rock and Ridgefield, we're having a hard time finding people. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been really difficult to, to find um, a campus pastor and a worship pastor and a children's pastor. And so that, I, I mean, we, I think we all, we all feel that. We all sense that. And the kind of the tide has changed. And, and when we talk about going into the ministry, this is not just the Bible college. This is these different schools that have popped up um, throughout uh, in churches. You know, these are, these are um, also schools that, that people go online. And so there's that sense that, hey, I'm not sure I want to follow this call to go that direction. And uh, we're finding that among our younger generation. So as, as I try to understand that, my passion is, and, that, and that's why I've, I've given you a card, it is to represent Standing Stone Ministry. I'm an Assembly of God ordained minister. I've been in the AG all my, all my life and um, it, it grew up, was saved in the AG, went to Bible camp, um, went to North Central Bible, it was Bible College at that time. Um, so I uh, went to school with Mark Doreen. Um, so hey, Mark, and we worked together at Marstan. Um, and uh, so I, I've been a part of the AG. And, and so Standing Stone is a multi-denominational thrust to really come, aside, come alongside pastors and be advocates for them. And advocates really is just to be an encourager. 
I've got 25 pastors that I work with presently, and uh, some are in Wisconsin, some are here. Um, I work with pastors that are struggling with pornography. I work with pastors that are struggling with um, their marriage. I work with pastors who have just, they're discouraged, they're stuck. And, um, and so we do, I have a support team that already takes care of all my finances, so everything is free. Um, we, we do that just to, this is what God has called me to. The way I can reach more people is if I help pastors and come alongside. So the next generation, as well as speak to boards, as well as, as help marriages, as well as pastors there in crisis or hurting. That's, that's our call. And, uh, and I think it's all born out of some of the experiences that I've had in my own life. Um, there are uh, 50 of my personal friends. Now, these aren't people that I just know about. These are friends of mine, 50 pastor friends who have quit the ministry. And I'll tell you, they're all in, they're in different camps. Moral, there's moral failure, there's, there's discouragement, there's burnout, there's pornography, there's sexual abuse. Um, some of them were fired and they were hurt from that. Some of them, um, they had a tragedy in their family and, and just couldn't process and walk through that. Some of them, um, well, not very many, but a few of them commit suicide. Some of them um, really struggle with anxiety, homosexuality. Some have gone through some deconstruction and now are, have a campaign on being an atheist. Um, some are divorced. Some have struggled with alcohol. I think the list goes on, but it's, that's, that's the call that God has for me. That somehow, you know, as I see my friends, as I see lots of these people that have come, that were part of my life, I recognize, you know, I'm so thankful that we have district leadership and we do have presbyters, but many times anybody's over you, you have less feeling that they're a safe person to go to. Um, I'm not saying that you shouldn't go to them, I, you know, I, but also we have in this Minnesota network, you have 1,200 pastors. So there's no way, as, as I went through different things, there's no way, and in Wisconsin, I think they have 800 pastors. I don't even think that's counting our missionaries. So we have, we, there's lots of pastors who, you know, they're not going to have anybody to walk through it with, you, with them. And so I just really believe that, you know, if I can be that safe, confidential voice, and I'm not tied to anybody, you know, it can create that sense of greater openness. And I'm always going to lead out of my own brokenness or out of my own experiences in life, I'd rather tell you my failures than tell you my successes. And uh, so that I can somehow identify with you and recognize that, you know what, we're, all, we're only strong because Christ makes us strong, you know? And so that's the call for every one of us is to, is to follow that. I believe in pastors. I believe in pastors. If you're called into the ministry, man, I believe, you, I believe the role of pastor is one of the most significant callings of the world. You have one of the most significant callings. This is God's plan A, the church. God's plan A to transform the world. You believe that? Amen. Amen. All right. You know, I think it's one of the significant roles in the spiritual life of a church, a community, a city. 
or county, you know, whatever that means, or world. You know, here we really believe in the world missions. And so we have a world impact. We have a city impact. We have a church impact, the spiritual life of that community. I always looked at my city as, hey, those people are in my church. They just don't know it yet, you know. And so it's just that idea. Um, I think pastors play a unique role to instill change in people's lives. Pastors leading church are the lifeline in any society. And, and so my calling comes, and, and I think pastors are some of the most hardest working people, yet least respected people in America today. Part of it is some of the things that are going on that's, that's caused that, the move in that direction. I'm talking mainly about America. Um, Peter Drucker said this, uh, leading authority in the area of management, leadership. He, he said, four most difficult jobs in America today are president of the United States, university president, have you heard this? Hospital administrator and, and pastor. Hardest jobs today. He goes on to say, you know what? Uh, in the business world, is easier than the church because the business world, they can go home and leave it, you know, where you're in the church and you're on call, you, you've got that role to minister to other people. It's 24-7, 365 days a week. doesn't mean that you do everything in that moment, but you are, you are there, you know. And so there's some extremely high stress levels, I think, for, for every one of us. And as we think about that, as a leader goes, so, is it, so does the church. So that, that puts a lot of weight and a lot of responsibility on every one of us, you know, in James chapter three, verse one, it says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, okay? For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, you know, teachers were equivalent to rabbis in the Jewish communities. And, and so spiritual leaders were, were in a sense, the pastors of the day, you know? And so as they taught, James is saying, think twice about the role of pastor because it comes under stricter judgment. Now, you know, I, I think that judgment, yeah, can come from the Lord, you know? And, but also I think because of your visibility, because of your responsibility, because of your influence, it's weightier, all right? And what I mean by that is the judgment comes and sometimes it comes from people. Sometimes it comes from toxic people. Sometimes it comes from your community saying, you know what, your church is a cult church, your church. And, and I mean, I'm, I've heard all of those things, you know, your, your church is not a good place to be. It's not a, you know, and so you have to deal with that. But also as a pastor, you live in a glass house. Um, sometimes as a pastor, you are the person they talk about at the dinner table more than anybody else, good or bad. Okay. They talk about you at that dinner table especially on Sundays. And so there, there is that. And so we had three kids go into the ministry. We, we said, okay, check first. Check again to see if this is your call. Are you sure about this? <laughs> now, we never really said, you know, this is how bad it is. And they really saw some really good things, you know. And all of them are passionate about the church. They're all, um, they love the church. They are, they're involved, you know, mega involved. And, uh, but we had to really, we wanted them to check, kind of as James, you know, make sure. Because you live in a glass house and there's going to be lots of judgment. And your strength has got to be from the Lord. 
This has to be a call from God. So as we understand that, um, Thomas Rayner put out an article. Maybe you saw this. It was Pastoral Search Committee Interview Questions. And, uh, um, and, and, and here are some of the questions. They're a little bizarre. Um, it was asked by a committee member if the pastor would be on 24-7, 360 days a week. And the pastor asked, how many hours a week was he expected to work? And, and the person on the committee said, up to 120 hours a week. Um, that's kind of crazy, huh? Um, our last pastor preached 18 minutes. Can you keep it under 20 minutes? Was one guy. All right. Um, another one said, what is the least amount we can pay you to come? All right. Well, that sounds like a good place, huh? Um, another one said, this is very bizarre. We do monthly cleaning inspections of the parsonage. You will need to make sure your wife keeps it clean. Um, okay. Maybe we won't go to that church, huh? Your wife can't um, take a job outside the home because she will be too busy at the church. Well, um, I understand that, that spouses, wife, husband, either one, are Christians, and then we're called to serve in, in ministry. You know, I just think that becomes a high expectation. Whatever my wife was into, she was a music minister, I was into, all right? And uh, Mark could, could tell you that I went down and got the, the orchestra instruments for the big concerts that we would have or whatever down at the high school, you know, I was into it. Um, and whatever I'm into, I understand my wife to some degree will be into it, not at a full-time scale, but, but it's, it, I mean, those attitudes are out there. Um, uh, we want you to preach for a month and see how it works out. This is a candidate who lived out of the state. Uh, another one was, do you let singers hold the microphones themselves? What the crud does that mean, you know? Um, Another one is, would you, would you be willing to shave your facial hair? Um, we're pretty good. Well, yeah, you, okay. Um, <laughs> uh, do you mind if we have a Christmas tree in the pulpit? And then what is your political party um, affiliation? Uh, I, I recognize, all right, there are going to be things like that. They're a bizarre. Maybe you don't hear them at the interview, but... You know, people are going to say, you know, when are you going to get a haircut? You know, um, I mean, I had that and I just got a haircut. And, I, and they asked me, when am I going to get a haircut? You know, I mean, all kinds of things. But we cannot base our security or my significance on what people think. You know, we have to base it on who we are in Christ. You know, it's the only way. Today, my revelation in journaling today and my time was Isaiah 26, 4. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. He's my solidarity. He brings anything. If there's anything solid in my life, it's, it's because of Jesus. It's because of what God does, you know. And, but there's a weightier responsibility. Now, I understand this is a prophecy. It was a prophecy in, in Zephaniah. And it was a prophecy in, that, um, that Jesus declared. And it says in Matthew 26, verse 31, and it was talking about Jesus, but I believe it also relates to you as an under-shepherd, and, and that is, strike the shepherd and sheep will scatter. That's what it says, you know. It was foretelling what was to take place. Um, there was a city in South America where they had seven pastors fall morally all in one, one city, all in the same city. 
And it led really to thousands and thousands of people leaving the church because they, they felt like no one could trust the church leaders anymore. There's a big difference, and it seems like every church I've gone to, I've either followed somebody who had a moral failure or a moral failure happened in our church on our staff. And so I'm very acquainted with that, what, what takes place. And, uh, you know, my, my heart is to come alongside and help and encourage and help work through some of those things because I've had to work through them. And the residue that's left there is, is but there's a big difference between somebody in your congregation falling and yes, we'll be sad, you know, and, and it, it will be a surprise, but it probably won't lead to masses of people leaving. All right. Pastor, it happens to a pastor. Now that's a bigger deal. There's a weightier responsibility. That's, I think that's, in a sense, there's that judgment. There's that sense of, you know, and sometimes we might even feel like that's not fair. But in a sense, it involves lots of people. It can involve non-Christians or nominal Christians never coming, back, coming to your church or never coming back to your church because somebody fell. You know, or even coming back to church. The committed will feel betrayed. The core will be shaken. The future will be unknown for the church and that ministry. And yet we've had an epidemic of fallen pastors. Bill Hybels, who God, I believe God used to help really speak a huge word to, you know, Christendom. And uh, whether you agree or not, I mean, he had a huge influence. Carl Lenz, Mark Driscoll. I love Mark Driscoll's teaching, you know. Um, Brian Houston, now with, Hill, with the Hillsong situation. Um, Ted Haggard. I loved, I loved hearing um, teaching from Ted Haggard. Perry Noble, Bob Coy. And, I mean, there's zillions of more. You know, almost we pick up the newspaper, we watch, we, we see something that comes across our screen. Somebody else has fallen in ministry. And the impact of that is huge. It's huge. So I was in Sheboygan. Um, Sheboygan, I, I left Rogers and uh, we came to Sheboygan and I followed a 29-year term pastor. And one of the, I think one of the challenges, if, if a pastor's been there for a Man, a huge length of time. It is difficult. Jerry Stranquist came alongside of me and just said, you know what? When I was just struggling a little bit with it, he, he said, you know what? The average stay of following a long-term pastor is like one year. And uh, I didn't know that at the time. Um, I was just thinking, you know what? I'm struggling and there must be something wrong with me, you know? And, and I guess I was giving myself too much credit, you know? Um, but... The, but in 18 months of being in, in Sheboygan, um, the worship pastor had homosexual relationships with kids in the youth group. Um, the name is Travis Gandy. It, you can look it up and, and see, it, see it online. Um, Travis uh, was our worship pastor. It was in, it was, God used him. He was incredible, you know, in the area of leading worship. Um, but the youth pastor did not want to take the teenagers, and this is what I found out, and I found out from the senior pastor, former senior pastor, and he said he didn't want to deal with it at that time, and I think he was dealing with kind of recovery of a stroke, so it kind of ended his term quicker than he thought, and he didn't want to deal with anything that were going on. So the youth pastor didn't want to go to camps, didn't want to go to youth convention, didn't want to do any missions trips, 
he was burned out and that burned him out. And uh, so the worship pastor was taking all these teenagers. And when I came, I said, uh-uh, the worship pastor cannot do that. Uh, worship pastor needs to lead worship here. And, uh, and, and that was a tough decision. I mean, I did try to talk to, and I had to let that youth pastor go, saying, you know what, there's, a new, there's some other, I didn't have a place. We came into that church, and, and we, um, I had only been there from October to December, and we were $100,000 in the red um, at, at the annual progress meeting. For that, for that next year. So that, do you understand what I'm saying? So that was a sense of, I can't move this guy. You know, there's nothing to move him to. We're already hurting and had no idea. And um, so as I tried to understand that, this, this um, also became a legal issue that went to the police and the police came in, confiscated all the computers and uh, he was arrested. He got out on bail. Somebody paid his bail. I think it was like $40,000. Somebody paid his bail. He got out for a couple days, and he called me. And uh, we, we experienced, the first Sunday, we experienced 300 people just left our church, just like that, um, which was huge. And, and we spent ex really experienced uh, months where we didn't have new guests, and, uh, which was really unusual for me, you know. But... But he had sexual contact with a um, couple 16-year-old kids. And, uh, but when he got out on bail, he asked me to come over, and he was at his parents' house. I went over to his parents' house. His wife came in, threw all his luggage on the floor, yell and scream at him, and then she left. And there I was talking with him, and he said, you know, I, I so wish I could have told you. When you brought up about... Um, a kid in your youth group who struggled with homosexuality and, and who really experienced deliverance from that, at that time I knew that I should have shared it with you, but I was scared. I was scared I was going to lose everything. So I come from the premise of I think people don't want to wrestle with that. Whatever the issue is, they want help. They just need somebody to walk alongside of them that's safe and confidential. I really do think that this person did, but you know what? He ended up, it was devastating for the church um, at that point and, and for years to come. And then it, it, he did lose his family. His family now is in Dubai and uh, cannot see, talk to any of his kids. Um, his wife is remarried. They got divorced while he was in prison and he lost everything. Now, I believe that God, you know, our setbacks are God's setups. God has a plan, you know, and so, you know, he, he redeems everything, but just really understanding his heart and understanding all that went on, I think that's a fear in lots of people's lives, um, and, and I, I think that there are issues out there that somebody needs to come and walk alongside of them. That's my calling. I, I've just seen too many crash and burns, and uh, um, somebody made this quote, uh, and I want you to guess who that would be. The best gift you can give people you lead is healthy, energized, fully surrendered, and focused self. Anybody know who that would be? That was at Willow Creek, Bill Hybels, a session with Bill Hybels in a workshop like this, jammed with pastors. Best gift you can give people is a healthy, energized, fully surrendered, 
and focused self. I believe that that probably was the intent of his heart. It wasn't the behavior, but that, that was the intent, you know, to be that fully focused. And so I think we have to ask ourselves, am I completely centered on God? And, and we have to do some searches. You know, Psalms 39, verse 23 and 24 says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. We have to look at those and, and say, what is it in my heart that, that's tripping me up or getting in the way of, of the mission, God, that you've called me to? And so I, I just really think it's, it's important to do that self-examination. So every pastor saves the world by dealing with the knots in your life, all right? And we're going to deal with the knots, and those knots many times are lies about ourselves, lies about our purpose. Now, understand this is not conclusive. There's so much more that we can talk, but there's a limit of, of time. Um, and, and the knots of your calling, you know. And so today we're going to deal with what are those, those knots. And the first knot that I'm going to give you, how much time do I got? Huh? 13, 13 minutes. I got 13 minutes, and you're, okay. <laughs> All right, so number one, not on point as a pastor in ministry. 1 Peter 5.2 says, care for the flock. We all know that one, right? Or we know it's kind of in the Bible someplace. That God has entrusted you. Watch over them willingly, not grudgingly. But then this really got me. Not for what you can get out of it, but because you're eager to serve God. I, I, you know, journaling, that became the thought. Not what I can get out of it. And you know what? Sometimes... We seek the, the reward. As I told you, my idol could be approval. You know, I want approval. I want man's approval. I want that sense of validation, you know. And, and so we can step in the, wor- in the way of the bride of Christ and, and them looking to Christ, you know, and seeing Christ. And so it, it's just really important for us to examine. There are enticements that come into our lives, wrong motivations that come into our life that really lead to an unhealthy spirituality. Now, I understand we're in an imperfect world, and our ultimate purpose is, is to see a transformation take place, you know, and to develop a, 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 um, a community. But you know what? There are inconsistencies in, in, in our lives, and many times those forces and motivations are beneath the surface. Nobody sees them, but we see them. Or lots of people see them, and you just don't know it. Self-deception is, is alive and, and working in our lives. And so we've just got to understand. And when I went to Wilmer, um, there was a youth that came up to me, and he was one of the pastor's sons. And his name was Jim Leinster. And Jim came up to me and he said, um, Pastor, you are performing. And, and I don't like to be called out, you know. Um, what do you mean, I'm performing? No, no, I... I just really believe that this is the mission that God had for me. No, you're performing. And so I struggle with that until the Lord really spoke to me. Chuck, you are performing. And you need to recognize, yes, that you are a mixed bag. There are, but there's the imperfect of your performing to get the attention and focus upon you and rather than on Christ. And so there came a time in my life where I had a car accident and I, had, I was in a coma, and I was in a closed head injury. And it was during that time I had to be removed out of being the youth pastor. And I had about, probably about 20 adult sponsors. Um, the youth group grew at that point, 
it grew. It was like a revival broke out in the youth ministry and I wasn't there. I think God had to tell me, get out of the center, empower your leaders, and you're going to see an explosion take place. All right. But I, you know, with this approval thing, I had to die to that. You know, in that sense of at Wilmer, there was there was some there was some days of brokenness. There was some days of coming and being broken before the Lord, having an all night prayer meeting in the sanctuary and just really restoring my love for Christ back. It's that first love that I have. And and so it, it just really came to that place. Henry Nowen said this in order to be of service to others, we have to die to them. And so it's that thought, you know, that I think is important for us to look at. And so um, I think uh, Henry Cloud said this, we need to do temperature readings. And temperature readings are, where am I? What's my enemy or obstacle? And where's my support? I I believe if we're going to have a restorative community, a healing community, a community that, that keeps from lots of this stuff happening, I think it's going to take all of us. It, doesn't, it can't just be a Chuck Apple or it can't just be a couple people, you know. It's going to be all of us caring about the kingdom, you know. And so I think it's all of us and just really understanding that. Um, you can have Jesus in your bones, but not in your heart. He wants a deep connection with you. He wants, and, and it flows out of that. We have at our house... Um, when I get discouraged, and, and I've got discouraged many times, I was looking through my journal the other day, and just all the different times I was discouraged, I wrote in it. And I journal just to journal the revelations that God gives me every day of the Word of God, all right, allowing the Spirit to speak to me. And so I would write, and, and I just, it was just amazing how many times. Uh, we call that in our home, sucky chucky. All right, you, and my wife would go, oh, you're being sucky chucky today. You need to go sit in your chair, get a revelation from God, and, and then get up. So she kicks my butt and tells me to go over there. And not literally, but um, she tells me her, her nickname. I, um, Mark Miltimore gave her this nickname, Mad Dog. Okay, you don't want to mess with Mad Dog. That's my wife, all right? She's not here. She'll only hear it if she listened to it, but I don't think she'll ever listen to this. But she, sucky chucky. So I go and I sit in my chair and I spend time in the word and prayer and then come up and you know what? It makes a difference every time. I get up my eyes off myself and I put it on Christ. And then all of a sudden, you know what? I become lucky Chucky. All right. There's a sense of joy and peace. God's got this, you know, and I can I can just understand that. Um, Parker Palmer said this. A leader is a person who must take special responsibility for going on inside his or her consciousness. Lest the act of leadership creates more harm than good. So I think it's important for us to take those deep dives. You know, a lot of times we, we think, we say spiritual growth is, hey, let's get close to Jesus. But I also believe that spiritual growth is, hey, let's look at some of the stuff that's coming up, the emotions that are coming up. Why are they coming up? Let's not be led by our emotions, but let's allow them to be a revealer. If it's anger, if it's sadness, it's discouragement. Why is that coming? And how does that leverage with the, ad, with the idea that the crisis are rock? You know, and, and begin to understand that. Henry Nowen, who some of my favorite um, readings, says, if you know you are beloved, you can live with an enormous amount of success and an enormous amount of failure without losing your identity. Because your identity is not, is that you are the beloved. 
The question becomes, can I live a life of faith in the world and trust that it will bear fruit? And so I, I think that's the call. But our human heart has a tendency to gravitate, to attach itself to idols. For me, it was PBA, performance-based acceptance. You know, if I perform, you know, that's kind of the name of the game, then I'm going to feel real good about myself. And so, um, thank you for the warning, Greg. Um, and so, you know, I was trying to earn my love supply from the church. And, and I think a lot of us, can, that's one of Satan's favorite tools. And, uh, but I just want to tell you, what I do matters, but who I am matters much more. If you don't know who you are in Christ, you know, there are going to be some, some real misreadings in that whole idea. And so um, I think another one is, is not over-functioning in ministry. And over-functioning, I mean, is, is, is taking the place of what Christ needs to do, the work that God needs to do. You, you're not there to save somebody. You're there to present the gospel. And it's, it's the Holy Spirit that brings them to, to know Jesus, you know? And, and that, I'm not saying not ask the question, but, but sometimes we take on the load and we get so driven that we, we feel like um, it, it, it just becomes, our pace becomes so frantic, it's unsustainable. And, and so I, I think an emotionally healthy person pays attention to their inner space. They pay attention to their pace because you can't look at your inner space if you're not monitoring your pace. And, uh, and I think that's a Sabbath. Now, our Sabbath is not Sunday. I think our Sabbath is another day of the week. Well, we go and we delight in the Lord, and we go and we enjoy that day. I just know when I, I have broken the Sabbath way too many times in my life, I know when I break the Sabbath, it affects my Sunday, my Monday, all, all throughout the week. Because I worked on my Sabbath, you know, and I understand there are times where things like come up, but I think that's overfunctioning. I think overfunctioning is taking on responsibilities that other people need to take on, you know, but you're taking it on. And, and I had a tendency to do that for others. Well, you can't, you can't do it. I'll go do it, you know, and uh, I'll figure it out. But it erodes our spiritual life and, and we've got to be real careful. And it, it really creates a burnout and a lot of pastors, and a lot of people in ministry. And maybe you're at a place where you are fatigued and, 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 and looking at that whole thing. Um, the 90%, this comes from Francis Schaeffer Institute, it said 90% of pastors stated they're frequently fatigued and worn out on a weekly and even daily basis. And 89% uh, of pastors surveyed have considered leaving the ministry. That wasn't, you know, the other stat was more that month, this was more about just in general have considered that. I had a, a friend and also friend, uh, Mark was, was his friend as well, and uh, he was an associate pastor, but he struggled with anxiety um, in and out of hospitals. He was let go of a church, and he struggled over and over again, and uh, he was let go of the church. It hurt him so bad, but he also wrestled with, why am I struggling with this? Why is this happening? And I think depression and anxiety can really choke the pleasure, the joy, the peace in your life and cloud your vision, you know. And, uh, but he couldn't get through it. And because of that, I mean, he ended up leaving the faith, divorcing his wife, and, and now is this proclaimed atheist. And so we, we just got to recognize, you know what, 
um, some of these things are out there and we need somebody safe to talk to. Before um, Greg comes up, so don't move another inch, Greg, but before he comes up, do not move. Um, one more, um, and, and I'll kind of close with this. So I had, there was another time where I almost died and besides a car accident, um, I had some type of reaction uh, and I got up in the morning and I passed out and my wife thought it was epileptic and I ended up going to the emergency room in Eau Claire to the hospital. Um, a lot of times um, I would get some anxiety attacks or panic attacks and usually it was around building committee or building time, you know, <laughs> and we had like two or three building prod building times at Eau Claire. And so I'd end up going to the emergency room, just checking out, making sure I was okay. And, and, and so those things did happen from time to time, but this time it was different. I went to the emergency room. They, they said, well, we're going to give you Dilantin. I had an allergic reaction to Dilantin. It shut down my heart. And, uh, and, and it took them three, four hours to revive me back. Um, they escorted my wife out. They had a nun sit down with her and try to counsel her. And uh, at that moment, but, um, and Joy was scared to death that I was going to die in that moment. And, uh, but out of that, my, my lungs and my heart filled up with fluid. And um, during that time, I just, uh, it, it was a long period of healing. And this guy, Greg Clevis, who was right down the road from us, reached out to me and he kept coming to the hospital. Um, we had met before previously, but we just really felt like, you know, there's not a lot of relationships. I mean, just transforming healthy, healing relationships. And, uh, and so he kept, he kept reaching out. I couldn't get rid of the guy. And, uh, and we, we just started to really get close and we started meeting every other week and uh, I would drive to Black River Falls and we would go through a book together or just talk and just be friends and, and hang out and uh, my life was changed because of that transformative community that I had that I could share anything with Greg, Greg could share with me and I'm oh man he's really got some bad stuff in his life but, um, but, but we could share together and it, it, was, it was healing to me. Now, during that time, I did go see, um, what's the counselor here? Tim Rudin. I did go see Tim Rudin. That was very helpful, you know, in my healing process. But I needed somebody to walk it through with me. Now, at that same time, I close with this. Doug Graham was having anxiety and panic attacks. We all know Doug Graham. Doug Graham, you know, incredible, incredible person. But somehow he was struggling with it. So he joined our group, and together we became a transformative healing group for one another and just could be able to share. And, and once again, I said, go to Tim Rudin, but you know what? Tim Rudin can see you maybe once a month. That's about it, you know, but you need somebody that you can walk through, somebody that you can share everything with, you know? You shouldn't share everything with everybody, all right? I, I believe in being open and honest and being and sharing out of your brokenness, you know, and that Jesus is strength for you. But I believe you've got to find people that can walk through it with you. Now, I kind of did half of my teaching, but um, I, hopefully you've gotten something from it. And if I can help you in any way, Greg's coming right now. Um, if I can help you in any way, come alongside of you. That's my calling. That's my desire.